0: I pray, Father, that you would bless your word as it goes out. I pray, Father, that we, as your children, Lord, would be open to hear what you have to say this morning through your word, through this love letter. And so, Father, we offer this time up to you. Pray, Father, that you would have your way in and through our hearts and our lives. Open our ears, open our eyes, and help us, Lord, just to take in that which you have for us. Bless your word as it goes forth in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are in ah my greatest, favoritist section in the scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ is declaring his constitution. So Matthew chapter 5, last week, we looked at the Beatitudes or the attitudes that we should have, um, blessed are the, and then he would go into eight different things to show those who are blessed in God's economy. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. So he's speaking to believers. He's not, this is not necessarily for the world. We cannot wonder why the world does what it does. We, we cannot wonder why the world sins. That's what sinners do. Sinners sin. But we as God's people, we as the children of God, um, we have a different set of standards. And God wants to do the work from the inside out. He does a work inside of us so that he can do a work through us. And that's what this Sermon on the Mount is. It's an impossibility to keep. There is no human being on the face of the planet living that is going to be able to do what the Sermon on the Mount is teaching But it's a surrendered life. It's a life that's saying, Lord, if this is what you want to work in me, then I'm going to be a vessel of honor, and I'm going to let you flow in and then through me to be able to do these things, which are impossibilities. So we titled our message, Salt and Light. We will be looking at just a few verses today, verses 13 through 16. The message should be condensed. But then again, I'm a pastor, and I don't know if I know how to condense anything, But let's give it a shot. Salt and light. And let's start from the very beginning, since we're only covering a few verses. This is Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so right after Jesus goes into his constitution, the Beatitudes, and he shows us, he expresses to us, he explains to us how it is that we can be happy, not just in this earth, but in eternity. And, and the contrast that I made last week was the happiness that the world says or the world offers and the happiness that God says or God offers. And there was a, a dynamic contrast, if you'll remember. And so if you live for the world, I said last week, then you miss heaven, If it's just in this world that you're trying to be comfortable, if it's just in this world that you're trying to be happy and have a good life, you miss heaven. But if you take what Jesus is saying in these Beatitudes and you live for eternity and you begin with poor in spirit, you begin to mourn for that condition, that condition brings a meekness. And then there's a hungering and a thirsting for things eternal, And you're filled and you're satisfied in the things of God. After that, you notice for the, they shall inherit the earth, it would say in verse 5. And so you live for earth, you miss eternity. You live for eternity, you live for heaven. You live for God and he throws earth in. He blesses you on earth. He blesses you with a life that is above and beyond what you can think or imagine. If you were to diagram what you thought maybe a perfect life or a good life would be, you took out a sheet of paper, and you just begin to write down, well, I think this, and it'll have some of this, and it can't be better than what God has in store for you. And so God is saying, live for eternity, and I will bless you on earth. I will give you the things that your heart truly is desiring. And so those were the Beatitudes, now, I didn't touch on this last week, but I thought about it. You would think that a life that is doing all of these things would be well-received by people, but and then you get to this persecution, and then you get to this uh, people saying all kinds of evil against you falsely, and he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. They persecuted the prophets, so they're going to persecute as well those who are God's children. Um. It says very clearly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And oftentimes I think a lot of Christians are weird, straight out, don't know what other word to use, just weird, and then they get slack, and then they call that persecution, but it's not saying, Blessed are you when you're weird, and then I'm gonna you know give you something in, in contrast to that. No, he's saying For righteousness sake, when you're living right, when you're living for the things of God, when you're making sure that there's obedience to what God is calling you to, and then in light of that, there's persecution, you're blessed, he says. So I just wanted to throw that out there. All of the studies I was hearing, pastors just had a field day with that one. So now, in light of the Beatitudes, we come to this section where he says, you are the salt." Of the earth, you are the light of the world. He, he doesn't say, I want you to be, he doesn't say, I'm hoping you'll get around to it. He, he doesn't say, You're becoming. In fact, in the Greek, it's an emphatic statement and it's, You and you alone are the salt of the earth, you and you alone are the light of the world. Salt. A Roman encyclopedia writer from Jesus's time may help explain what Jesus was talking about. His name was Pliny, and he was born in about AD 23 just about 4 or 5 years before Jesus started his public ministry. In this book, Natural History, a collection of 37 volumes mainly about nature, Pliny writes There is nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. And so in this encyclopedia written way back then, in Jesus' time, nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. And interesting, we see Jesus saying right here that you as a Christian are the salt of the earth, that you as a Christian are the light of the world. In... Luke chapter, let me read it to you, 14, touching on what Jesus is saying here, Jesus would go on to say further about salt. This is Luke chapter 14, two verses, verses 34 and 35. He says, salt is good, but if the salt loses or has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pretty emphatic statement. Salt that is no longer doing what salt was supposed to do is good for nothing. There are 14,000 industrial uses for salt. In the scriptures, it's, it's interesting as you read the Old Testament, there's all kinds of different uses for salt. In Job chapter 6, verse 6, salt was a, fla- a flavor, used as flavor. We, right now, we salt our food, right? We put salt on our food and it gives it flavor. Um, And that is, it creates a thirst in that. So, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Theaters, movie theaters know what they're doing when they give you salted popcorn. It creates thirst so that you can go and buy that, you know, $17 uh, cup of soda there, right? Okay? So, flavor in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 24, it was used as a preservative. It cured meat. In Ezra 4.14, it's used as uh, wages, salary. In fact, the Latin word for salt is salarium, from which we get our Spanish word, sal, salt. And so it was used as wages. So what is Jesus saying here? You are the salt of the earth. He's saying, Christian, as the salt of the earth, you are a preserving influence for a rotting culture. True story, pastor leaves, goes on vacation. He's gone. I don't know what it was. I was reading it about 10 days. Comes back home, opens the door, and like a sock in the face, this smell smacks him. And he's like, oh my, what died up in here? So he goes and he's looking around and he's just swearing something's got to be dead in here. And he goes to his kitchen and finds a steak that was left on the counter unrefrigerated. And what was the byproduct of a steak left out? It rotted. Well, all around us, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The world is getting rotten. And we as a preservative, we as the salt of the earth are preserving judgment. We're holding back God's judgment in a Christ-rejecting world. And so have we lost our Savior? Savor? Savor. Savior would be Jesus, right? Our savior. Have, have we lost our ability to preserve? I... Um, also, as a, a, a preservative, it, it cures me. Um, also, I, I... Just this thing of flavor. Um, what I find in Christianity oftentimes is... I don't know, many... Many would want Christians, as, as, as we do God, I think, many would want to put Christians in a box, and they want to say, this is what all Christians will look like, and this is you know the, their dress, this will be their style, and I take the thing of flavor two different ways. Not only is it flavor, bringing flavor to the world, um, but it's also, again, that, that creating thirst. In the flavor aspect, what I love about God is God loves you unconditionally. God loves you just the way you are. God loves your idiosyncrasies. And idiosyncrasies are are those little quirky things that make you exclusively you. And, and, And that's, I don't know, as I see the body of Christ, I love the flavor of the body of Christ where people are just allowed to be who they are in Christ. And so God loves you just the way you are. God accepts you just the way you are. But he loves you so much, he's gonna grow you up. And he's going to transform you into the image of his son. And that's what we're becoming. That's what we're being molded and shaped into. But, again, I've seen Christians Um. Almost force from the outside what God wants to do from the inside. Let me explain. We were at a Bible study and I had a friend. I invited a friend to work, from work. And he was having troubles in his relationship with his girlfriend and they were thinking about getting married, not sure what they were going to do. And and so I just reached out to this guy and said, hey, we, we have a Bible study on this night and why don't you come and join us? And so he comes to this home Bible study. And he receives Jesus Christ. He prays to ask the Lord to be his Savior and his Lord. And he becomes a Christian. And that very same night, two to three very well-meaning brothers took him to the back room. And they began to school him on everything that he now needed to do. Okay, well, you're living with your girlfriend. You need to move her out. I noticed you are drinking because you had mentioned that, and now you need to stop drinking, and you've got this going on, and you're doing this over here, and you're doing that, and you need to stop all of that, and we never saw that guy again. And again, I think well-meaning, I don't think they were malicious in their intent. I don't think they meant harm or bad, but that's not how God works. God is not trying to work from the outside In. God does a work from the inside out. And so as God does it, it's perfect. It's right on time. It's whoa, Lord, you just revealed this area of my life that you want me to address. Whoa, Lord, you just shine some light on that? All right, Lord. Thanks for doing that. Because when God is calling us to do something, He is not only giving us this commandment, but he is giving us the power to do it. He is the one that is enabling us to be able to get it done. And so when people are from the outside trying to tell people how they're supposed to be living, well, where's the power? God may very well not be working on that area of their life. And I look at it as a coach. All my daughters playing softball as they were young, kind of raising up, and I would coach them, and I'd be working on a certain thing in their swing, and so there they are, you know, it's maybe the feet, we're just working on the feet, okay, I don't know if you guys know anything about baseball, but you squish the bug, okay, that way that that back leg is able to transfer the power from the muscles in the legs through the hips to the arms, so right now we're working on squishing the bug, and then I'd have some well-meaning person come along and, hey, you know, keep your eye on the ball, your head's moving out and you're doing this, and I'm like... It's not where I'm working. I'm not working on the eyes right now. I'm working on the feet. All I want them to do is just squish the bug so they can transfer that power in their, from their legs to their hips and they can get it to their arms. We'll be on the upper part of the body a little later. And I think oftentimes that's what we do. We come along in somebody's life and we're looking at it and it doesn't look right and we want to tell them what they're supposed to be working on and God may very well be working on feet and we're trying to work on a vision or eyes or the head. And so I think we need to be very careful The salt that brings flavor, there's flavor in the body of Christ where there's this freedom to just be who you are and and to know that you're a work in progress and to know that you haven't arrived and you haven't been perfected, but to very well know that God is doing something deep within you and he's working on an area of your life. And there's just this flavor that the world looks at that and they're like, wow, you guys are pretty messed up. Yeah, we're pretty messed up. But you know what? What? God loves us. God loves us. He loves us just the way we are. And right now, he's working on my feet so that I can get that squishing the bug thing down. And on my brother over there, he's working on the hips. And on my sister over there, he's working on the head. He's getting the eyes where they need to be. But the flavor that we bring is different because we're not conforming one another but the spirit of the living God is conforming the body of Christ. And he's doing a work that's supernatural. And in my opinion, that's, that's some flavor. The flavor that the world looks on and it's like, wow, I don't know what they got. But that's making me thirst. I want some of that. They just accept one another. They love one another. They're able to kind of just come in where I've got all this chaos in my family and friends and relationships out there. But when the church comes together... There's a harmony. Guys, that's supernatural. That's a unity that the world does not have. And the reason the world doesn't have it is because it's supernatural. And if we can just let God do what he's doing in the lives of people, then I believe the world looks on and that creates a thirst. They see that flavor and they're like, wow, that's pretty sweet. And then of course, flavor creating that thirst in your personal life, you should be living your life in such a way that the world is looking on, how you treat other people, how you treat the people that you say are the closest to you. I don't know what it is, but the people sometimes that are closest to us, we, we feel that we have a license to be able to just be the meanest to them. Where, where is that written? We don't have that license. We should always be on guard, spiritually speaking, we go inside of our homes, somehow we shut the door, and all of a sudden, now we can walk in the flesh, where we've been trying to walk in the spirit in the world? No, we're walking in the spirit 24-7, we're walking in the spirit, we're at, while we're sleeping, we're saying, Lord, tell me to walk in the spirit, I wake up convicted of bad dreams, you guys ever do that? i like, do something bad in a dream, I'm like, oh my God, I gotta repent, I know it was a dream, but Lord, I'm sorry, I, you know, even in our dreams, we should be trying to walk in the spirit, but... Okay? Don't give yourself permission to do that. So we are a preservative, we are flavor, and I like the wages the the saying you're not worth your salt or you are worth your salt definitely definitely comes from a salary. Are you? Ask yourself that question. Are you worth your salt? The wages that God gives are nothing compared to what this world can give. Can anybody put a price tag on a piece that surpasses understanding in a world of chaos? can't put a price on that. Can anybody put a a price on health, on the well-being of those you love, on just all of those different things? God pays big dividends. Ask yourself, challenge yourself. Am I worth my salt? Because the Lord is blessing, blessing, blessing. Am, Am I... Worthy of that wage. Lord is paying out. Am I worthy? Am I earning it? Thank you, Lord. Not for salvation. Not because that means if I work, I'm going to go to heaven. No, no, no. Lord's going to bless you. Lord's going to bless you. That's what He does. So, just a challenge. And then, as you look at this salt thing, you have to ask yourself the question is there anything wrong in the world? think about our world second chronicles we want to point to what's wrong with this world and then at times we have the audacity to begin to point it's the media it's the music it's this thing over here it's this group over here it's the politicians it's this that and the other and yet God's perspective is very much different. And if you observe anything wrong in this world, then you have to look in the mirror and it has to come to us, those who call ourselves Christians, because we are the salt of the earth. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so there's some responsibility that we need to take. Are we being an influence in our culture? Because that's what Jesus is saying when he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt that was no good would be thrown on the ground so that the um, elements of the weather, snow, it would be able to make a pathway and people would literally trample underfoot that salt that was no good. It no longer could preserve. It no longer had flavor that can season food. So therefore it was used for nothing but to be walked upon by men. And so that we would be careful with that. Then he says, in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So is Jesus the light of the world, or are we the light of the world? We are a reflection of the awesome light that God is. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light. It was the first day of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, he said, let there be lights, and he created the sun, the moon, the stars. He differentiated night and day by using the moon as the, and the stars as the light for night and using the sun as the light of the day. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, the Bible says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light for the sun, for the, uh, no light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So now think about that. On the first day of creation... God creates light, but doesn't create the moon, the stars, and the sun until the fourth day, and we would ask, what is that light? Revelation tells us that light is God. He is the light, and we are to be like light bearers. Little astrology, the thing that we see at night that we call the moon, I guess we could say it's the moon. But what it is in reality is a reflection of the sun. The sun is beaming on the moon, and we are seeing a reflection of the sun that is bearing light. And so we as Christians are called to be a reflection of the sun, the S-O-N. Now, when you have a half moon or a quarter moon or a no moon, it's to the degree that you have the moon over here, and the earth begins to eclipse the reflection of the sun. And so if you see a half moon, it's because the earth is blocking out half of the rays of of the sun on the moon, so you're just seeing half of that reflection. You're not seeing the full moon. And so think about that. Because in our lives, the amount of earth or world that we have in our lives is to the degree that people can't see the S-O-N, the sun, in our lives. If we're worldly, if there's a lot of earth in our lives, if we're living for the things of the world and the earth, people aren't able to see the light. Of Christ. And I think that's just a a beautiful picture of what God wants to do. And then he goes on in verse 15: nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, as you do what God is calling you to do, no more no less, as you do what God is calling you to do, then you are a light to this dark world. What does light do? It illuminates and it exposes. Light illuminates. It shines. God wants our light to shine high. He doesn't want us to cover it up. He doesn't want us to hide it. Well, I'm an undercover Christian. Feel me? I just keep this to myself. Okay, I think that's what God's calling us to do. Undercover Christian, God wants us to let our light shine. He wants us to live out the reality of what he's doing. And, and, and again, it's not a fake, phony, Wow, well, I got to act perfect and I got to be perfect and I got to look a certain way. No, 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 be you. Be you, all messed up and trying to work through it and trying to get it figured out and, and just, uh, just do that. Why? Because the world looks on at that and they're like, wow, God still loves you? But you messed up again. Yeah, I messed up again. I messed up again. God still loves me, man. He still accepts me. And the world looks on and they just see, wow, what a gracious God. What a merciful God. What a loving God. And you're not taking advantage of it. You're not, you're not well, I'm going to sin so that grace may abound, as it says in Romans. No, no. I'm trying to get this thing figured out. But the truth is I'm not perfected. I'm being perfected, but I haven't arrived. And as the world looks on it, that, that's real Christianity. That's genuine article right there. And so let your light shine. And then I like the, the last part he says, or, or wait, wait, you have uh, light is, it exposes darkness. Um, you don't have to curse the darkness. You don't have to karate chop darkness. Yeah, darkness, get out of here. Yeah, gotcha. All you got to do is turn on the light. Turn on the light and darkness flees, right? And so as Christians, when we walk into an area, when we go to a place, that darkness is being exposed for what it is. Remember Dagon, the half fish, half whatever person, God of the Philistines, and so they get the ark, which was a representative of God's presence and they didn't know what to do with it. Well, it's a holy religious thing. And we have our holy religious thing over there in that kind of temple. So let's put that holy religious thing in there. And then they come that first day and Dagon is dropped on his face before the ark. Right. And then the next day they're like, Whoa, what's us dust off their God, sad God. If you have to dust them off, they dust off their God and then prop them back up. And then the next day, they do the same thing. They go in. He's not only face down, but now his arms are chopped off and he's kind of de- decapitated somehow what did what what happened there i mean what's what's the picture the picture is they weren't karate chopping the darkness they weren't they weren't you know get back get back they just simply brought the light of god's presence in and the darkness fell and so if you are struggling with an addiction here's a little word to the wise don't focus on the addiction focus on the lord Focus on the light. Bring the light in. Spend time with God. The addiction flees. That, that, that troubled thing just begins to have its rightful place because you're so filled with what God is doing in your lives. No room, no time for that thing, for that stuff. So, neat little word. Last thing, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Guys, it's not about us receiving glory. It's not about us. We are a trophy of God's grace. We are a trophy of, of the goodness of God. And the good works that we're doing are really God doing them through us as we are surrendered and yielded to what He wants to do. From the very, very beginning of my walk with Jesus Christ in 1986. I did not understand pew sitters in a church. I did not understand people who were not involved in the service of God because the Bible is telling me that I gotta be busy about my father's business. The Bible is declaring like the Titanic, this world is going down, but God would have me to occupy until he comes. And so I'm to look up because my redemption is drawing near. I'm to look up and live for eternity in the things of eternity And when I serve the Lord, I am sending my treasure ahead. I'm not building treasure on earth where moth and rust and thieves come in. I am building or sending my treasure to heaven because that's the world that I'm living for. And so these good works that God is truly working through us are to bring him glory. And it's a way that we thank him with our lives for what he's done for us. And it's a way that um, we're just able to express a a heart of gratitude. Are you thankful? Are you grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on your behalf? If you are, it's not going to be lip service. It's not going to be, you're going to say something. It's going to be a life that is indebted to live and live out for him. Let me close with this story that I found this morning. Oh, did I put a bookmark? Oh, there it is. Bob was a salesman who became a Christian through the ministry of Doug. One day in discipleship, Doug taught Bob about prayer. At the close of their time together, Doug asked Bob what he felt impressed to pray for. Bob said, Africa. Doug asked him to get more specific, so Bob named a particular country. Doug then took a unique approach to prayer. He told Bob to pray for that country every day during the coming month. If nothing significant happened, he would pay Bob $500. If something big occurred, then Bob owed him $500. The bet was off if he didn't pray every day. Toward the end of the month, Bob was beginning to wonder if anything would happen. Then he was attending a dinner where he met a lady from his country. He lit up and asked her about her work. She was working in a medical center. Bob asked so many questions and was so enthused that the woman invited him to fly over to see their work. Bob took her up on the offer and flew over. He was saddened to see such limited facilities, so he flew back and wrote some pharmaceutical companies about their needs. He soon had over $1 million worth of donated supplies sent over. It was such a major contribution that Bob was invited back over to see the new supplies, and they paid for his airfare this time. Even the president of that country quickly struck up a friendship with Bob. The president invited Bob to his palace and showed him the capital. Remember, Bob is just a quiet, unassuming insurance salesman. While touring the Capitol, Bob saw some prisoners. He asked the president why they were in prison. The president said they were political prisoners who disagreed with his philosophy of governing. Bob simply told him that wasn't a good idea. Not long after Bob returned to the U.S., he received a call from the State Department in the middle of the night. They verified who he was, whether or not he had seen some prisoners and spoken with that particular president. Bob affirmed their information. The representative then pressed Bob, Those are political prisoners we have been working to free for a very long time. They have been freed. Bob, what did you say? Bob said, I told him it wasn't a good idea. Later, Bob was invited back by the president to evaluate his proposed selections for his cabinet. So, what about Bob? More importantly, what about the God? to whom Bob prayed. And so it is in our lives that God wants to pour his spirit out upon a Christ-rejecting world. And in these last days, he wants many to come into the kingdom. And his chosen method of how he wants to see that take place is through you, the salt and the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the examples of individuals who maybe we would look at from the outside and wouldn't be very impressive. Maybe they've been rejected by the world or the standard of the world isn't really what they meet. But Lord, we recognize that what you can do with a surrendered individual is far more than we could ever do with our strength and our power and our abilities. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be that preserving influence that you have called us to be. Father, I pray that we would be that light in the midst of darkness. I pray, Father, that we would have a renewed desire to serve you, to be busy about your business, to occupy until you come. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work these things in and through us, and to God be the glory, for great and mighty are his works, in Jesus' name, amen.